0: And thank you for tuning into my podcast my name is Brandy runner and i'm a certified life coach a proud cancer warrior and survivor this podcast is devoted to cancer survivors warriors and their amazing caregivers i'm excited to bring to you their stories of diagnosis treatment survival and hope beyond cancer some of my favorite quotes are cancer opens many doors one of the most important is your heart. Greg Anderson. You can be a victim of cancer or a survivor of cancer. It's a mindset. Dave Peltzer. Once again, I want to personally thank you for listening. And if you'd like to be a part of this, please contact me through my website at bebeyondlimits.com. And now for our guest. Thank you so much for calling in, Camille. Would you please briefly describe who you are, what type of cancer that your uh, cancer patient had? I know you're a caregiver, and how cancer affected your life.
1: I am Camille Perry. I am Sapati, party's godmother. The Sapati was diagnosed, originally was given a diagnosis of squamous cell carcinoma cancer back on June 18th of 2019. It was later identified more so as nasophilial carcinoma, stage four cancer. And so how has this affected her life, our life? As her godmother, I've known her and had her in my arms since she was three months old. And so to watch her grow and overcome so many hurdles and obstacles from infancy to adulthood, Cancer just looks like a bigger bully, another bully that you have to try to defeat. I'm going to be honest with you. The effect that this has on me and our family, I think it comes in waves. Some days are better than others. Some moments are better than others. Other moments are harder, and they knock you down heavy, you know. But I've never lost my hope. And I've never lost my faith. So that's what holds me. That's what's been keeping me. Because literally I have nothing else to hold on to but him.
0: Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about the day that Siapati Potty was diagnosed from your perspective? Well,
1: uh, from my lens, right? Okay. Yes. I have to go back a few months prior to all of that. I knew she wasn't okay started to see the light in her eyes kind of dim. I started to see her become more reclusive. I started to see that she was struggling. I just knew something wasn't right. And so, you know, I didn't want to overstep her parents' boundaries and everything And until when I asked her dad just, are you okay with me taking her to the ER? And that was on June 12th. So she stayed at my house and We drove literally seven minutes door to door from my house to Riverside University Hospital on Cactus in Moreno Valley. And they've been doing a lot of of work there, a lot of construction, a lot of rebuilding. And we get to the ER, but before we get out of the car and we park, we were listening to gospel music on our way up there, and she was kind of singing and everything. And then she started really singing (laughs) Brian Courtney Wilson's song, Worth Fighting For. And I just began to pray, and we asked God that he would lead us when we got into that hospital. So that was June 12th. We walked into the ER, and traditionally ERs are very crowded. It wasn't on that day. Traditionally, the wait time was very long. It wasn't on that day. One of the nurse practitioners, I believe his last name is Preet, but Rodney Preet, he saw her during intake and immediately said, we need to run a panel, do a biopsy. He just saw that he has such a sense of urgency. And so we're waiting a little bit in the, behind the, you know, we're waiting after blood work and different things, poking and prodding. We're just, you know, and watching some Disney movies there. And you hear their tone kind of change. Like, we need to get her a bed. We need to do this more doctors become more concerned about, you know, my baby. And so I call her parents along the way and let them know what's happening. I'm keeping everybody informed. And when they told us that they would have to keep her, that kind of helped me to understand that this is more serious than we've ever imagined. She stayed in the hospital for about two days, and so I stayed in the hospital with her for two days had to make sure she was okay. They did the biopsy and then when they got ready to send her home, they told us it would take about a week. So when she came back to my house for her June 18th appointment, I really didn't, I didn't really have a thought. I pondered on this question. I just wanted whatever, whatever is wrong for them to identify it. That's all I wanted. I just wanted a resolution. And so, when the doctor says squamous cell carcinoma, I'm pretty familiar with the, some of the terminology, you know, shout out to Chicago Med and all these different medical shows that we watched on the prime time. But I heard it and I was like, okay, dang, what does that mean? Help me, you know, because I'm thinking like, is it a mole on her face when you say carcinoma? I know it's skin related, so what are you saying? And it was just, it, it was a lot to process. And then when the second doctor came in and he was just very direct, I just was like, okay, sir, thank you for your medical update, but I need her to leave here with hope. Because nothing on here is letting me know that it's terminal. And it, it was just a lot. And so... Really process everything because I was like, okay, I got to tell her parents because they worked at an appointment. I have to tell her siblings. I have to figure out do we need to do genetic testing? Do we need to make sure the other siblings don't have markers for this? You know, my mind was just all in, okay, insurances. We got to get this updated. We need to get moved from Medi Cal to IHP. We need to do this. You know, it was, I didn't have a time to really process at that moment. All I knew is that we had a pre-diagnosis of cancer.
0: That must have been very frightening for everybody. I remember my diagnosis day was very emotional. Yeah. Is there anything you wish someone would have told you prior to diagnosis?
1: You know, um, one of our assistant pastors, our assistant pastor in our church, Pastor Ralph Velasquez, God rest his soul, he had stage four stomach cancer, I believe, that ended up spreading, you know, and he later left his life to be with Christ. He always talked about his journey with cancer. He was active in our ministry for about three and a half, four years. We got a chance to watch him go through, have good days, have bad days. And Pastor Ralph was very much alive during Zapati's initial diagnosis. And one of the things that Pastor Ralph always shared, whether he was speaking on his Sunday to teach or if he was just in conversation, is that he had cancer. Cancer didn't have him. And he would say that all the time. I have cancer, but cancer doesn't have me. It's not going to beat me. And I think that, and, you know, we would talk, um, I remember hearing his wife, Carolina Velazquez, she had shared at a, one of the couples conference when we were diagnosed when we when we when we and i thought about that even prior to sapati being ill that when you're in this thing whether you're married or in some type of love relationship whether mother daughter son and father whatever it might be you're not in this alone you're really in this together And so he was pretty clear about understanding, you know, and sharing with us about diagnosis and what happened. But we always go back to our faith. We always pray, God, you're allowing this to come upon us for a reason. So help us to see that reason. Help us to not lose sight of that. And so I don't think anyone can ever fully prepare you to get that news. You know, I don't think anyone can fully ever say this is exactly what you're going to feel because it's a variance for everyone. But one thing that I think that I'm grateful for was having so many, and we've had other cancer survivors in our ministry, and to hear them say you're going to make it, you're going to get through this, you know, that is very encouraging. So I think just holding on to survivors holding on to those that are yet fighting a good fight that is what everyone whether they ever deal with cancer themselves or a loved one they need to see that and know that
0: absolutely that is very important to have that mentality that you have cancer but cancer doesn't have you that's a great quote it's so powerful to have that mindset and that mentality can definitely help you Now, as a caregiver, what did you do to take care of yourself? Did you turn to therapy, church, talking with your friends? Did you take days away from taking care of Siapati?
1: Okay, so I saw that uh, question and I said, I guess I have to tell it like it is. So, you have to imagine the shock and awe that Siapati has been feeling in her life since the initial day and the multitude of hospital stays. She became the worst patient ever <laughs> and I would tell her all the time because I'm coming in there I'm speaking so well to nurses and all to the doctors and you know I told him I said I told her she they will give you a hot shot and you will never be the same again you better be nice to these people and so like here I am coming in all sunshine and greasy and she got little horns on her head and so there was one day I had I mean it must have been maybe two or three days straight that I stayed at the hospital and my mom would she would be so kind she would try to come and relieve me so I can get showered take a moment rest and then come back to the hospital but I was feel guilty you know about leaving her there for even those few hours what ended up happening was I had stayed maybe about two or three days straight my back was bothering me dealing with her during the night and then she would just she would be so rude to me, you know. And I'm like, ma'am, I'm trying to help you, <laughs> you know. And I, I said, I'm, That's it. That's it. I'm done. And I left. And I think I left for about two nights. So her sister stayed with her one night. No, actually, her yeah, her sister stayed with her both nights. But I, I went on PTO. I called it PTO. I needed the personal timeout. And. <laughs> I said, you know, as much as you're hurting, as much as you're in pain, my mom always taught us growing up, you might be bleeding, but you don't bleed on other people. There's a way that you can suffer. And you can suffer with dignity, as well as with humility, right? You don't have to be rude. When I came back, I came up there and she was like, well, aren't you going to say you've had two days to yourself? And I was just like, you don't get it we have this joke that as soon as she's well, we're going to jack her up real good, me and her (laughs) sister. And probably a couple of nurses just meet her outside one day. But I struggle with self-care. I'm trying to get better with it, but I think as a woman, it's just in our DNA, in our fabric, that we always nurture others. I just think that that's just – and then being a strongly empathetic person – It's really hard to self-care because you think about everything else that you need to do. I have been trying to be more intentional with my journaling, more intentional with let me step away and remember that I can't save, heal, or deliver anyone. You know, always reminding myself that God is in control. I'm not. When I'm weary and when I feel like giving up, is because I've been doing it in my own strength and I need to rely on him. I haven't taken any time off of work. I haven't taken any time off of, you know, my normal duties. I just try to keep it, keep it going, keep swimming like Dory said. I'm working on balancing more. I'm working on, and her over the past seven, eight months, her and I have got a chance to really build a better schedule with, it, with each other. Started, I would go to FaceTime appointments versus being there physically, having to, my parents would step in and be at the appointments if I had something for work and I had to be out of town. Like, So I. But really, it's our community, our village, that has been very much helpful in taking care of both of us, myself and Sabasi.
0: Yes. One of the reasons that I started this podcast is I realized that working with cancer patients and their families in therapy, a lot of caregivers don't take the time to take care of themselves. And I want to make sure that people realize the importance of that. When we step on an airplane and they're talking about the plane going down, they say, put on your oxygen mask first and then take care of your family. And I truly believe that putting on our oxygen mask as a caregiver, sometimes that's a massage. Sometimes that's taking two days off like you did. Sometimes it's going and getting our nails done or going to church and being around your friends and family or a multitude of other things, whether that's painting or, or something something to take care of your soul first because as we we run ourselves down as caregivers we run ourselves down to the point where we have nothing left to give and if there's nothing left in your bank account those cancer patients that we're caring for are going to suffer so I appreciate yes. your honesty and your candor and I'm glad that you're learning to take care of yourself. That's a wonderful thing. those are that's such an important lesson to learn. Can you please describe for us your best day with Siapati?
1: Oh well we've had a few of those best days. Hmm, there's been a few to name. I would say one of the best days was a surprise day so when i say a surprise day um, she came to church on sad sunday her and her siblings it was actually the first sunday in december so this is post-radiation so her skin has been discolored there's the the shedding of the old skin the patches of new skin coming through you're dealing with the residual after effects of radiation so your body changes, your aroma changes, it's everything about you. The tumor that was on her neck was so large at one point that she had what looked like to be a permanent kink in her neck. She would always leave her head tilted to a particular way. I would always check her neck, and it had been a while since I had checked her neck, and she was sitting behind me at church. She was sitting behind me in my little workstation, and I turned around and I said, Let me see your neck, babe. And I bring out my phone and I take a picture of her neck and immediately I just begin to rejoice. Now, her siblings and some of the other young people are around us and I mean, I'm just going loud and just telling God, thank you. And so, you know, as even though church is over and folks are just hanging out, folks are trying to figure out what's all the commotion, what's going on over here, the tumor had literally dissipated. The reason why this was a good day, and I say it's a surprise day, is that as we continue to rejoice, and I was trying to let the word come out of my mouth, and I just end up just, like, pointing to her neck, like, y'all look at her neck. Just look. So after all of that was done, and I'm just thanking God over and over again for what he's done in her life, I take her and her siblings home. I drive them home. And she's sitting behind me and she says, Camille, you know, I don't really look at my neck in the mirror. And if you wouldn't have showed it to me, I wouldn't have seen it. That, even though it sounds like how is that a good day, it was a day I think that she understood the importance of don't stop looking in the mirror, right? Yes, your body is going to change it, but don't stop looking at the mirror. Don't stop looking for the growth. Don't stop looking for God to show himself in your life. And for me, it was just like sometimes we get so befuddled and overran with what isn't happening in our circumstances that we forget to look and see all the blessings and all the battles he's already won. And so that was a really good day. Another good day. I would tell her all the time during radiation because she had these tumors that were so large in her nasal passage area that she, they were like, you could see them when you looked up her nose. Like her left nostril was so obstructed you couldn't even see up her nose. It was just tumor, 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 tumor. And I would tell her every day when we went to radiation, I just believe that one day God's just going to bless you to blow your nose and that thing just going to come right out. And she hadn't blown her nose in I don't know how long because nothing would come out. It was all blocked up. And I remember we were on FaceTime and she said, I want to show you something. And I could hear her voice sounded different. And I said, okay, baby, what's up? And she took the tissue and she blew her nose. Oh God, thank you, thank you, thank you for the reminder. And she blew her nose and it was the most beautiful sound I've ever heard. It was as if I heard her giggle for the very first time in her life. It was as if she had just took her first step again. It was just another moment of newness. And so we've had some really good days and I know they don't always feel like good days. You know, sometimes they don't start off as good days. And you know, most recently, her and her sister were here at my house and they would just come get in the bed with me and talk with me and I miss that just when they were little babies they always stayed in the bed with me always but then as they're grown and they still want to come lay and hang out and talk with me and tell me what's going on and, and we have deep conversations about life and Christ and next steps and I'm just so grateful so we've had some really good days despite the darkness. Of it all, when God lets the light shine, he really lets the light shine.
0: Those are some beautiful stories. Thank you for that. It's really awesome to hear somebody's perspective on what a best day is. Those are completely different than what a lot of people would think of as best days. And I love that you shared those with us. Thank you so much for that. Now, I know there were probably a lot of really bad days. We all go through them. What was your worst day?
1: Oof. Worst day. Well, there's been a few. (laughs) I would say I think the worst of the worst was when she had to get her first PET scan. Um, we were over at Loma Linda, her parents and my parents were waiting in the waiting room and her and I left and we went back there to get ready for the PET scan and saw i sitting there rubbing her legs, rubbing her feet, making sure that she's okay, talking with her, playing gospel music. And the gentleman says, well, we have to remove you because we have to put the isotope, the radioactive isotopes in her. And, you know, we don't want you to, you know, get any radiation poison. And I looked at him like, so you want me to leave her? Like, what are you talking about? Get out of here. At that point, I hadn't cried or anything like that. I was just sitting there. And and I could see her face kind of look like I'm in here alone. And when that big metal door closed between her and I, I literally said, I asked them if I could just sit in front of the door. And I just sat there and I cried. I couldn't stop crying, but I had to hold my mouth shut because I didn't want her to hear me sobbing. Even though I know her hearing was, you know, touch and go, not as bad as it later became, but, I just didn't want her to feel that I was crying. I didn't want her. She's a very sympathetic, empathetic, tender. Like I call her my little Faberge egg. You know, she's very tender. And I didn't want her to, to feel like, well, now she's feels like I'm not gonna make it. And so I just cried and that was so hard because I realized I couldn't do anything. And that's really the learning journey that I believe in. God is allowing all of us to go through in this is that we can't do this without him, number one. But understanding we have to give it to him, everything, it has to go to him. And so that was a hard day. of course, you know, She went through that with no problem, and it was the first of very many PET scans to come. There's been a few, when she had her first nausea and vomiting situation from chemo, oh my gosh. That was rough because, like, any time you, you know, vomit, your pulse is racing. You know, you're feeling, you're nervous, you're scared, because your body is doing something that it only does when it's really sick. But this is the way the body tries to remove the bad stuff right and so to see her panicking and you know I can't breathe I don't know what to do and then understanding like okay honey you gotta stay calm you gotta let this pass and just trying to make sure that she's okay the phone calls in the wee hours of the night that she has a fever rushing down to Loma Linda ER being there with her in the ER and you know it's just it's a hard thing it's it's a hard thing i hate the fact that it is something that we as humans are plagued with but you know hey we know that we got to go through something down on the side so but we've had some bad days and i'm sure her bad days are different from what i would say bad days are but those have been some of the notable
0: bad days for me Absolutely. Everybody's experiences are different. And that's why I interview both caregivers and cancer survivors to hear the differences in their stories and how what their take is on their daily situations and how they handled things and what was big events in each person's life because it's very different for the cancer survivor and the caregivers. I just want to thank you so much for your vulnerability, Camille. I can't imagine all the things that you've been through, but I really appreciate you opening up to our audience and letting them hear some of your stories. I'm going to switch up a little bit. I want to hear some funny memories.
1: Oh, funny memories. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's been quite a bit, but... A lot happened when we were in the hospitals. So going between Riverside University Hospital and Loma Linda. One funny thing at Riverside Hospital was we got to a point where we were kind of like regulars. And one of the ENT intake specialists, he kind of looked like Jesus, or at least the depictions that people have long curly hair tall guy and I would tell her I said oh girl look Jesus is coming to get you in there and so we would just joke around about just different things and just you know we I mean we were at the hospital all the time so after a while people start to know you you know and she was like I guess this is another way for me to make friends and I was like yeah you know let's talk about that but Loma Linda oh boy from hanging out with her and being in there with her dealing with pain and trying to find the best course of pain management they prescribed they started giving her methadone and so because she kept having those really bad she would have really bad neck back head aches due to the tumors right her like picture her head being like a 20 pound anchor because of the size of the tumors and the the masses on her neck. She could barely hold herself up. So when they started giving her methadone, oh, she became the nicest little patient ever. So I said, okay, Sepapi, so they're coming in to give you your treatment now. She's like, methadone. I'm like, oh, dear. Lord Jesus, please don't <laughs> let my baby get addicted. Please don't let my baby get addicted. But she was like, she just, she has little funny moments. Like now she does this hand puppet thing. It's I don't know where she got it from, but she'll call me on Facetime. It'll be her little hand, and she's talking to me through this hand puppet. And it's, it's we. I, I think her and I have just gotten really close and crazy together. We're just, we just laugh at each other. And at this point, it's we've had some really good times. Though. I will tease her about you know, her grooming, I'm like, honey, just because you're sick doesn't mean we stop grooming ourselves. Come on, Alice, get it together. You know, picking up socks and grabbing extra loaves to take home with us. Asking the nurses politely, can we have extra? Can we just fun stuff? Just trying to make it better. Having to even referee her siblings and them don't housing while we're in the hospital. Like, come on now. Like, guys, but realizing that they're, they're siblings. Their kids will be kids no matter where they go. Just some fun stuff, you know. Eating some of her food. I'm, I'm guilty of that. I've ate a lot of her food while we are in the hospital, especially the juice boxes and all the things that she didn't want. Just seeing her go through this has been kind of laughable at times because the way she goes through it, like, when she comes in it when she's feeling like a champion and then she might forget that she went the wrong way and now we have to double back or I got this, I know what I'm doing and they're like, no, it was this door, just fun stuff. It probably sounds horrible saying it like that but we just laugh at each one another. I would scare her here and there and then she started scaring me. I would, because she couldn't hear that well, I would creep up behind her and then I would be there. She'd be oh my God, and you know, she would get startled. But now she's a very light stepper, and she scares me all the time. Like Especially when she's here at my house. I, she could be standing in the doorway, and I wouldn't even recognize until I looked over and just you know completely almost lose myself. So we've kind of, we learned how to entertain ourselves, I guess you could say.
0: <laughs> That's great. It's really important to know that not every day is going to be horrible, that a lot of memories are going to be silly and fun, and that you can laugh. During treatment that you can laugh when you're in the hospital that you can be silly Actually, it's really important laughter is the best medicine and I truly believe that And watching patients throughout the years the ones who laughed and the ones who danced and the ones who put on Silly makeup in the hospitals. They tended to recover more quickly So can you tell me who you leaned on the most for support during this time with Siapati,
1: my mom is my best friend, Sandra Perry. She is literally my rock. I talk to her about everything, and so and Siapati would tease me about that too. She's like, "You tell your mom everything." I'm like, "No, I don't." And I thought to myself, "Yes, I really do. I do tell my mom everything." <laughs> I had an illness when I was an infant, and my older sister had an illness when she was a toddler. But my mom was a caregiver for 11 years, and moms just have a way of understanding. I think that's something that's so remarkable in the relationship that God gave with mothers. You know, fathers have this way of protecting and being the source of safety, but mothers have this way of being in this place of comfort. You know, like none other. I talked to my mom a lot, and when I couldn't be there, and I'm, I need you to record. I need you to do this. I'm just fussing, fussing, fussing. She's like, you need to relax. Everything's going to be fine. She's not Everything's good. No, nobody's going to harm her. She's my, my prayer partner. She would pray with me when I felt like maybe I just am being too hands-on. What should I do? She would step in and, you know, be a good god granny to her and her siblings and so my father working as pastor as well as father and friend to the situation he's been amazing our church family as a whole has been super supportive super amazing sending Supati gifts and letters of encouragement and one of the sisters sister jackie started giving her painting easels and different things i mean just amazing things, like everything that others would do. One of my coworkers, she's our executive vice president in manufacturing. She lives in Florida. She sent Sapati cards, some encouragement cards and books to read. It's just so many people stopping and asking me, well, how's your baby doing? And how's Sapati doing? And Or how's Sia doing? All of that matters. You know, that helps me that helps me understand that, because sometimes you'll start to feel like, am I the only one that cares about her wellness? And you know that that's not the case, but sometimes you'll feel like that, right? When you hear others just calling and stepping in and stepping up and tending, it's just, that helps me greatly. That helps me to remember like, okay, we're, we're not fighting this alone. We're all in this thing together.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for that. That's really important, especially for people who are friends or family members of the caregivers, the primary caregivers for a cancer patient. Reach out to them. Ask them if they need anything. Do they need an hour to go shower or to go get their hair cut or anything to get away from the hospital? Or do they need a book? Can they use an, a, an afghan? You know, can they make an afghan mm-hmm. for you? Those things are such beautiful gifts that are in such great demand for caregivers. I'm glad that you had those wonderful people in your life. Those are amazing people who stood by you and gave you strength when you were losing it and propped you up when you needed it. Those text messages and phone calls can be such a lifesaver. Can yeah. you tell me how Siapati's cancer changed your life?
1: Mm think that it it reminds me that and it reminded me of how precious life is, right and that cancer and illnesses and diseases have no respect to a person. It's not like they only go to a certain age group or a certain demographic. It's anybody. It changed me in the sense of so okay, she has two other siblings, it's my last three. Sonia and Sapati Sapati being the oldest twin, Sapati growing up was always a daddy's girl. Sonia was always on my lap, and then Tavita, her baby brother, was always with their mom. All three of us had a kid, right We all had our babies, and so if so if Sapati felt like when she was a little baby she wanted to hang out on my lap and hang out with me and her sister, she would and so when they were babies, we had a different relationship. As they grew up older, Sonia always would call me, always would text me. I remember when they were going through elementary and junior high and they would just, I've always had a closeness with Sonia. Love all of my kids, love them all evenly, right? But we all love each other differently because they're all different individuals. What has changed my life has really been in this illness Sapati's and I's relationship has had a chance to grow in a different way. I believe that oftentimes it's easy for children to feel that one is more favored than the other. So Sonia would always say that she was my favorite because she has my name for her middle name. And I would tell her, since she was a little baby, I love each of you and I would give my life for each of you. It doesn't matter. I never wanted Sapati to feel that she wasn't loved heard, are understood. Sonia's very em- demonstrative emotionally. Zapati's more reclined, more introverted. To Vita, he's the boy. So, you know, boys are crazy anyway. <laughs> so I want to say that what has changed my life is even though I never bore these children from my body, I've carried them in my heart. And when you see your heart is hurting. And you see your heart needs to be mended, needs to be made well, needs to be reminded that they're loved, that they're beautiful, whether they have hair or not, whether they've lost the weight or they're gaining the weight. You need to love that heart. And I feel that in this diagnosis, in this temporary condition that we're in, God is using that for me to understand how to love each of them more intentionally, how for us to love each other more expressively. Her and I have, we understand each other. I don't know if we could say, I don't know if she would feel comfortable saying that maybe four years ago, three years ago. We've got a chance to confide and speak and deep dive and there's a trust, there's a relationship that's deepened even in this portion. I thank God that even in this very challenging time, God is still working on both of us, on ways that we need to communicate with, you know, and understanding when someone is dealing with a life-altering condition, how to be compassionate, how to be long-suffering. Like, literally, when you think about what they say in First Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, that love is patient, love is kind. You really have to make sure you're modeling that as a caregiver. You have to make sure you're modeling that in our daily lives because you don't ever want this person because life is so fragile. And I tell it all the time, you might be ill, but death could hit me first. We gotta make the most of our lives while we have it. We have to do what he's given us to do and love one another and hold on to one another. So if anything... I believe that her illness has intensified my relationship with Christ. My prayer life It's intensified my desire just to want to embrace her and hold her. Her siblings as well. Just we have to hold on tighter because we just never know what could happen.
0: Absolutely, that's beautiful. It's it's a wonderful position to be in when you're in growth, when you're in learning mode about yourself and about how your relationships work with other people. Mm-hmm. It, I, and I, I thank you so much for sharing that part of your story. This one's going to be a little difficult, or maybe it's not. For me, it was an emotional day. Can you please describe to us that final day for Siapati with chemo, radiation, surgeries, whatever she had going on, that was her final day? Describe that day for us. Even as you say that, by faith, I I pray that that day really was the
1: final day. Because since we last spoke to you, we didn't get the favorable results from the MRI. The diagnosis has changed. The prognosis, rather, has changed. The doctor's outlooks have become more dire and bleak. And the last day of radiation that we experienced together was one for me. I just, I celebrated, I thank the Lord, just the fact that he brought her through 30, 39 treatments. And she didn't have any severe, there wasn't any severe delays. You know, sometimes when people go through radiation, they, their immune system is very much compromised with the chemo and different things. And they end up getting infections and then their treatment becomes halted for months didn't happen with her. That final day was a glorious day in my eyes because I'm like, now we can start the healing process. And God has definitely been healing. And so to hear that we have to, to make the decision, do we do chemo and immunotherapy again or do chemo again with the immunotherapy and all these new things coming up, it's a hard thing. I, being on these phone calls with the doctors, Lately, and trying to figure out what is the best course of treatment and what would this mean for her? What does that look like? What are the aftermath? If that, all of those questions have been filling my mind versus being able to celebrate and to remember what we did come through. It's, I, I think I might have lost the question just that fast, but it's hard to remember anything outside of just feeling the relief that we felt knowing that that was her last time not having to drive to Beaumont anymore but now realizing that we maybe hit the half mile point we haven't gone the full distance yet
0: that's a scary place to be i had many points where they said you're done only to find out that my cancer had breached the margins and was, I was going to have to continue therapy and surgeries, uh, and things like that. It was an emotional roller coaster, to say the least. Mm-hmm. You know, hearing your story, I, my heart just reaches out to you, and just know that I'm here for you guys any time that you need. One of the reasons I became a life coach for cancer patients and their caregivers is because so many times. When we think we're done, there's a new step. There's a new wrench. There's a new something going on out there. And I want people to know that they can live in happiness and hope and harmony despite everything that's going on. That that breaks my heart to hear that. And I just know that you guys are going to be in my prayers and in my thoughts. One of the things that I found really important during my therapy was reading books whether that be inspirational books, stories, information about the cancers that I had. Were there any books that you can recommend for either a cancer patient or a caregiver?
1: Yeah. Okay. There was a few books. I really enjoy Rachel Hollis. She's one of my favorite authors when it comes down to the self-development. I really enjoy her her audibles, she has that one
0: book,
1: Girl, Stop Stop Apologizing and Wash Your Face, or no, Girl, Stop Apologizing, and then there's another one, Wash Your Face. I think that's, let me go back to my, trying to find my books while I'm here in my office. Two of her books have just been really impactful, and they're, it's funny because there's little nuggets in each chapter that she shares, especially in Girl, Stop Apologizing. There's little there's so many little nuggets that she has in there. I find that is a great read. It's very encouraging, even if you listen to it on Audible. Tony Evans, I would just, you know, like to say any book from him is amazing. But me being a woman, Kingdom Woman, was an amazing book for me to go through. Because prior to Zapati's diagnosis, I read that book. And it was dealing with being a woman of prayer. And I remember telling God, God, I want to be like that. I want to be like the Esthers and the women in faith that would pray. The Deborahs and different ones that would just go and intercede and pray. I want to be like that. And then, not too much longer later, here we are, and all I do now is pray. <laughs> because like MC Hammer said, you've got to pray to make it through the day. But Those are my, I would say, other personal written books. But of course, Psalms. In the Bible, whether you're reading King James or any other translation, Psalms is probably one of my favorite books to go to. It's just so many things to hit the human condition. And it's been such an encouragement to me over the years. Those are the books that I would recommend.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for those recommendations. I actually have a copy of Girl, Wash Your Face and the workbook sitting in front of me right now. That's what I'm in the midst of (laughs) rereading. I love Rachel Holler. She's amazing. So considering the situation that that has changed with Sia condition, what are you doing now that things hadn't gone the way that you hoped? How are you... What are you doing for yourself to prepare for whatever is going to come your way?
1: Praying and fasting. Definitely praying and fasting. I have been on the calls with Mama Linda and talking to case managers and social workers and doctors and on Facetimes and at appointments with her. Asking questions, making sure that she's asking questions and she's championing her health. To be quite honest, listening, there's a song called Man of Your Word by Maverick City Music. It's available on all digital outlets. But that song, very simple lyrics. It starts with, if he said it, I believe it because you're a man of your word. And Numbers 23 and 19 is one of my favorite passages of scriptures. It says the scripture that resounds in my home on a painting, but I think about that you're a man of your word and you promised her healing. So when I feel like saying what I know I shouldn't say because I'm tired or it doesn't look good, it doesn't sound good. And I just feel like complaining, let me be quiet. Let me turn on my gospel music. Let me, or just sit in silence and just talk with the father and let him know what I'm going through and what's going on. I sing a lot to myself. I've been asking her, what do you think? Will you tell me what you want to do because I never want her to make a decision based on what I said or anybody else has said. What do you, what have God told you to do? And that's really what I've been doing these past few months even prior to getting the diagnosis. What has God told you to do to, for yourself? What is God telling you, Sapati? What is, What do you feel like he wants you to do? What steps are you going to take? What action items are you going to implore? Just praying, staying in a place, in a posture to hear from God. That's really what, that's all I can do because, Randy, I can't do anything else. I, can, I, I tell her all the time, there's no chemotherapy in my fingers. There's no radiation in my hands. There's no healing that I possess it ain't in me so I can't do it so I can only talk to the one who I know can do it and what I have changed is the way when I speak with her she'll send me a message and I'll send her a long reply back of hi my beautiful daughter who I know God is blessed with you know a merited favor a great strength." like I just go real hard and that he's healing your body because I want her to read those words when when we talk about positive affirmations, when we talk about self-talk, and you know all those things matter. I got to make sure that I'm speaking life to her. We have an enemy who's going to want to speak everything else against her, make her feel that this is insurmountable, and would like to tell everybody else to give up and throw in the towel. But no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. I just I just try to render. Either absolute silence when I'm at my wit's end and can't say anything else. Okay, I'm not going to, let me not make it worse. Let me be quiet. Or when I'm speaking, I'm intentional and deliberate with my words and and
0: praying that God makes a way. So that's really what I've been doing to get us ready for this next stage. That's beautiful. It's definitely really important to continue a positive mindset regardless of... The roller coaster that you go on the ups the downs the loops and we've all experienced them and that that mindset will get you through it will help you to handling whatever curveball comes your way Yes. Yeah. my last podcast was a friend of mine tim ringold he is a music therapist and i highly suggest that if you haven't listen to it yet to sit down and give yourself about an hour and take a listen it is amazing the healing power of music in helping uh-huh. with chemo and radiation and exhaustion it's absolutely uh-huh. beautiful but i want to thank you so much for your time and your vulnerability and sharing your stories with us these stories can change lives they can give people hope they can let people know that they're not the only ones who have felt that way, whether that be the anger, the frustration, the happiness, the joy, the laughter, the tears, all of those things. Is there anything else you would like to tell the listeners?
1: Well, I would just say this. No matter what age and stage of life that you might find yourself in at this particular point, as you're listening to this wonderful podcast by our awesome facilitator, Ms. Brandy. Hold on to God's unchanging hand. It's, it's the only way that we can make it through. He is the only way that we can live, sustain, and move. We don't need to charge him falsely and get angry. And God, why? And why is this happening to me? And, but we have to look at it as saying, God, you're allowing this to happen to me. So what do you want me to learn, do? And show when I come out of this, what, what is it? Hold on. You're not alone. He's with you. He's for you. And you'll make it. Um, He promised us that we'll make it if we hold on to him. So never give up, never give up on him.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for that. One of the things I learned when I went to Tony Robbins in 2019 was a phrase that's really important to me. And that is life isn't happening to you, it's happening for you. And depending upon mm-hmm. how you see everything, how it's an opportunity for change, for growth, for your families to grow together, for your families to to change. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a beautiful way of thinking. And whenever Absolutely. I am at an impasse or at a challenge, I always think, How is this working for me? How can I make this the best? Had I not gone through cancer, had I not gone through all of the things that I have gone through in my life and I've lived some serious traumas outside of cancer, I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't have been led to this podcast. I wouldn't have been led to coaching cancer patients. I wouldn't have been led to meeting some beautiful people like you and Sia Potty and Tim and all the other amazing people that I I've already had on my podcast and then the beautiful people that I'm going to meet and the lives that we as a family are going to, to touch. So once again, I thank you for your candor and your openness and I will be here every step of the way. Keep me informed on Sia Potty's treatments or lack thereof, whatever whatever road you decide to go upon and just know that my heart is with you and your family.
1: Thank you so much. And we appreciate you, Brandy. God bless.
0: God bless you too. Thanks, Camille.
1: You too. Bye Bye.
0: I want to thank you all for tuning in to the latest episode of Be Beyond Limits podcast. I am so thankful that you have chosen to spend your time sharing in these stories of our wonderful cancer survivors and their beautiful caregivers. I am so blessed to be able to bring these stories to you. If you know anybody that would like to be involved in this podcast, please have them go to my website at BeBeyondLimits.com. That's b-e-b-e-y-o-n-d-l-i-m-i-t-s.com. My name is Brandy Runner, and I am a certified life coach and now professional podcaster sharing many stories with you. And I am so grateful to have been given this opportunity, and I look forward to getting to know each and every one of you.